This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraos. Thanks for listening. I'm Daniel Bernal, a dual degree student in the MARC in Real Estate Development Programs at Columbia GSAP. I'm speaking with GSAP alumni Nina Bayer Bischofberger and Florian Bayer, co founders of Bayer Bischofberger Architects, in advance of their lecture at the school on April 8, 2019. Founded in 2005, Bayer Bischofberger's practice has developed into three areas art exhibition and storage facilities private commissions that range from residential homes to high-end offices, and their own residential developments. Key to their work is a culture of experimentation and questioning of common norms. Thank you for speaking with me today. I wanted to start off kind of a little bit informal. I'm graduating in a little bit over 30 days. Can you remember what you felt when you had the weight of graduation hanging over your head? I was really excited. I think I was completely ready to finish school and have no more assignments and no more things to do. For me, I still needed to go to the Venice Biennale after graduation. So classes were continuing right after graduation for me. But generally, when everything was finished, I think I was sort of petrified because it was the first time in my life that I didn't know what was going to come next. Yes, I think at the point of a couple of days or 30 days before you actually you were in the zone, some, somehow sort of in a completely separate space. And it was in a way unconceivable what would happen next, right. but not in a bad way. So tell me what did happen next. It seems to be that if you graduated in 2000, your firm was founded in 2005. Can you tell me about how that transition took place? Well, we moved to London, both of us being from Europe. We decided that we sort of wanted to make our way back home and we took a stop in London first. I had gotten a job with Arup. Um, I have a civil engineering degree as well. And so I had gotten a job there to sort of bridge between engineering and architecture. And I had worked for uh, Richard Horton's office. Uh, He might be sort of, uh, he's quite well known for this sort of very small microarchitecture projects that he's doing. A big admirer of Buckminster Fuller that always likes to sort of weigh his constructions. A very interesting uh, person to work for, um, but he was part of a, a, a bigger company with sort of a team partner, so they would build actual buildings as well. I was working for them for a while in, in, in London, and then eventually Nina and I both joined a little design and build company that had their own craftsmen, uh, workers sort of employed, and that was quite <laughs> insane in a way. It was a very informal setting, extremely international team. And in a way, it was a dry run for sort of the the office we would set up later on our own. I mean, we were the architects. There were no other architects there. And the people, the person who was running the company was a contractor. I mean, he knew how to build, but he didn't, we had no experience really putting drawings together or running an office. So we we were learning by doing and finally decided that actually having the contractor and the architect in the same team wasn't necessarily always so beneficial for the client. And we also felt that we would be doing this a lot better if the two of us were doing it without our boss. And so when we had the opportunity of getting our first commission from my father back in Switzerland, we packed our bags, our baby six months old, and moved essentially what for me was back home to Zurich, where I'd sort of left 13 years ago uh, when I started studying. So I'm also a real estate development student, and I'm especially interested by this firm typology that extends beyond design. I find it a bit troublesome. The way that real estate development works in New York is that there seems to be a huge dichotomy between architecture and development. 
And I think your office, the way that the construction management is integrated, starts to play with like a new firm typology. What do you think the potentials of extending your firm beyond design? That's two steps, really, or two different things. One is to have architects and construction manager, project managers in the same team. That made it easier for us in a way to come up with things that were special, very customized, because we spend a lot of time with actual producers, in, with companies, in workshops anyway, to sort of get things the way we wanted them to be. And it was almost a logical step to sort of have that officially in-house. It also made it easier for us to convince clients to do things with us because we could very early on give a realistic time frame, handle cost, uh, because we had our own people that knew sort of the way we were operating and take that into account and then sort of help sell that to a client. And the other thing is the real estate side, which we started, and that came out of the frustration that maybe not comparable to New York, but what happened in Zurich is there's a lot of demand for housing and you do not really have to build high quality to sell. Everything sells by the square meter. Mm -hmm. And we were frustrated by the fact that Basically, people were developers or even architects working for them were basically taking uh, the templates out of the building code, sort of the logical iterations, and were just repeating them uh, regardless of specific sites and so on uh, again and again. And that's when we started more out of idealism, if you like, uh, to set up our own development arm, which is tiny, but to do our own projects and show that you could do different things that would still be viable on a commercial level but would be completely different from what everybody else was doing. What we also found in, in this was when we first purchased the property, the, the housing market was strong, but it was in a slight decline. And because our architecture was different, because we were trying different typologies out, we were trying to give the clients more than they might get from a traditional developer. We actually had absolutely no problem selling the 60% that we needed to get actually the loan to start construction versus a lot of the other more repetitive designs that many of the other developers were building were having slight more difficulty actually getting their sales through in a speedy fashion. Your work is absolutely striking. I think it's pertinent to acknowledge that your firm is fascinated with parametrics. How do you ensure that the projects you design are not entirely computer-derived? And how do you get your projects to have a level of understanding that they are going to be communicating to the human skill? Parametrics is just one tool of many. Okay. I think that we generally see that if you add some technology or some new technology comes out, it's another tool. It's not a replacement of anything. Okay. So we are still sketching by hand. We're still drawing the, the pictures. We're parametrically building stuff up. We are building physical models. We built a lot of physical models, uh, mock-ups of ideas, try to really understand what those shapes look like. Yes, and if we don't build them ourselves, we print, 3D print them. We will only rely on physical representations of objects because we think that if you work with a we have, you know, we're using virtual reality goggles now to, work, uh, to, even in the design process, to walk through our designs, to try to optimize them, to make them better. But we will not rely on that because even though this is very immersive, it's still a representation of a physical space in this case. And so we will always try to go into actual physicality to determine, for example, whether a shape is really right and, and works. When I was here at Columbia, I took a class with designing skyscrapers from New York City with Bill McDonald. I was the only one who built a physical model. Everybody else thought it was crazy. <laughs> but I think it's absolutely necessary to have that interplay between all the great new tools that we have. And it's amazing. 
what we can do with new technology, but not give up what we have sort of as, you know, at our hands as traditional tools. Well, I have some great news for you. I think we're producing a lot of models at GSAP. <laughs> I saw that today. It's, um, been, it's fantastic. I think that there's been a huge push towards making at the university, and it's been really, really nice to see the progression. I just had my desk grid, and it was the same thing. I had the physical model, and it was just a completely different conversation than a flat render that I presented. So that's, that's really interesting to hear. You did mention a little bit about the diverse group of individuals that you work with. How has that affected your office? I don't necessarily sort of uh, think that we've sort of specifically gone out looking for sort of diversity. We've looked for partners in crime. We've looked for people who have sort of the same passion about what they're doing that we have. And if that is some, you know, an intern, a junior or senior architect, a project manager, a construction manager, or the contractors on site. And of course, the clients, these are all partners in crime. And I think that's sort of what we're talking about. We're trying to bring these all together and excite them for the same goal. And that is, you know, good architecture. Yeah, but I mean, the diversity is really important and it, it works on many levels. We have younger and older people working in the office together. And men, women, that always changes. It's sort of sometimes more, more women at the moment, I think, um, sometimes more men. Uh, but we also try to get people from different... It, it just happens, but it's really nice to have people from different places. So we have multiple languages spoken in the office. It, it's always sort of a little bit mixed up. We would probably like to be even more diverse, but it's sometimes difficult due to, you know, work permits and immigration laws to get of sort course. of people from, from everywhere in. So we're sort of Eurocentric, if you like, uh, at the moment, but we try to mix it up as much as we can. What is your perception of how architectural education has changed since you've graduated? I know that's a bit of a, a loaded question, but I'm really fascinating about celebrating this feedback loop that exists, you know, participating actively with the alumni network and more about that. We were talking about this today together, okay. um, <laughs> which is sort of a funny retrospective look at what were we doing versus what's happening now. I think the time that we were here, the conversation was not necessarily about how to build. It was a reaction to that, that when we opened our own practice, that we spent maybe so much time then saying, OK, we need to build. But that wasn't a negative thing. We came here and the time we spent here we were looking at things, we were exploring stuff, we were trying new stuff out. We were, we were looking for inspiration just about anywhere you, you come. And it was a time where computers had just sort of been introduced with new modeling tools. And we, we weren't drawing sections and plans on them. We were sort of modeling new realities or new right. visions or new dreams. And the whole time that we spent here, that's what we were doing. And sort of when we left, it was sort of, okay, now how do you transfer that into a, an architectural project. It wasn't necessarily something we did here. And what I see looking around and sort of speaking to people is that some of what we had to do afterwards for ourselves is now part of the education here. So you're still dreaming up new ideas and new visions and exploring things and being experimental, but you're also being asked to think about how do you construct those things? How do you, how do you realize them? What does that actually mean to actually do proper drawings for projects. It's something that we never did. So I think you're sort of a step further than we were. Right. But I, I can't say that specifically about Columbia, but what I found in the last couple of years looking at, at architecture education and, and different places is that often it became very self-referential. You were looking sort of what other architects were doing and so on, maybe also aided by sort of the media available to us. And I think it's very important to keep architecture open and to always sort of cross borders and get your influence from outside of architecture. 
And I think that, that a good school takes that into account. I think that here at Columbia GSAP, maybe I should say that at a more personal level, some consider architecture to be a generalist profession that entertains a variety of entities that are not architecture per se in the you know traditional sense, in a more prescribed traditional way of practice, one could say. There are students like myself that I, I would consider that kind of think of architecture as this ever-evolving field. I don't know, how do you agree with that, if, if you agree with that model, in terms of expanding the definition of architecture? Well, the generalist notion of architecture, first, the architect as a person, as a professional, I think needs to be a generalist. There's so many things so, uh, that you'd have to take into account to, to do good architecture. But if you look at it, and the, the way you sort of looked at it, as the field changing and expanding, architects end up in, in the most impossible places. No one, there right. must be a, a skill set that you acquire that might be very individual, but I think that generalist notion of the profession invites people to sort of venture off in, in all sorts of directions. In a way, we are in a very old-fashioned place. We build buildings, which is not necessarily what an architect has to do. When I graduated, I went to visit a friend who was working over at NASA, and they said, well, they actually quite liked hiring people with architecture degrees because they could look at lots of different things at the same time and understand the bigger picture. And I think that's something really useful in many different places. So I think an architectural education allows for so many new possibilities. But I think you do learn to be a bit of a generalist, and especially if you're going to open your practice, you're going to have to be. Very exciting. Well, I look forward to your lecture and I'm very excited to be able to participate and speak to, with you guys today. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much and good luck for your future. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.